You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello and welcome to this edition of the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Simon London, an editor with McKinsey Publishing. Today we're going to be talking about women in the workplace, that is the representation and career progression of women in big companies and other organizations. Joining me here in our Silicon Valley office are McKinsey partners Alexis Krivkovich and Eric Kutcher. They've helped lead groundbreaking research on gender diversity in corporate America. So uh, Alexis and Eric, thank you very much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So uh, if you don't mind, let's, let's start with a sort of uh, 30,000 foot question. We as an institution, McKinsey and Company, we've done quite a lot of research over a number of years now on this topic. Um, why does it matter to us? Why does it matter to our clients? What makes it a, a pressing management issue? I think the first thing that most companies that are that have recognized this as a as an issue is it actually is very much a strategic issue, and the reason it's so strategic is um, we know that um, from all the research that we've done and others have done is diversity broadly, and I think it largely comes from diversity of thought and diversity of of the way we solve problems actually leads to better outcome, and you can show a very high correlation between more diverse organizations and gender diversity being uh, a very big part of that uh, and actual company performance. And it's not that surprising when you think about it because if you think about where talent comes from and, and, the, and the war for talent or the, the desire to really ensure that we get the best talent in an organization, how can you possibly get the best talent if you're not pulling from the fullness of a, of a talent pool? I would agree. The point I would add to that is for many companies, better representing the customers that you want to serve is a critical piece of the equation. So whether it's financial services, healthcare, consumer packaged goods, a lot of the power decision-making and you know importance that will affect your brand and your success over time comes from reaching a very broad range of consumers um, and customers. And you need to have people inside the company who reflect the people you're trying to serve. So let's segue from there, if you don't mind. Um, maybe, Alexis, you can take this. Just describe for us the research that, that uh, you've been leading with U.S. companies. And we should point out here that this is joint research, right, conducted by McKinsey and also LeanIn.org, uh, a nonprofit organization. That's right. So this is the second year of a research partnership that McKinsey has with LeanIn.org. It is focused on North America, really with an intent of getting an understanding of what is the complexion of the workforce today for women and men. Um, what are the experiences that people describe that they're having in the workplace? And then what are the actions that companies can and should be taking to affect diversity outcomes over time? So we look at the HR data that companies provide to us. We also have the opportunity to survey employees. So 132 companies participated in this year's survey, and we had a chance to uh, get input from over 34,000 employees across many of those companies to understand not just what we see statically happening in the pipeline, but what people say they're experiencing day to day. The only thing I'd add to this is I think this is the largest uh, study in terms of the number of institutions and the number of employees that participate. And it's also longitudinal. So we now have two years of data and the intent is this is something that we're gonna continue over time. It's a wealth of information and I think companies are beginning to use this as a way to measure their own performance over time. It's becoming a tool for many of these institutions. Why don't you just give us a few highlights for people who may not have seen it? What are the big takeaways from last year, the first year that we did this? Well, the primary 
takeaway from last year was that corporate America has really stalled in progress on gender diversity, that it would take over 100 years to reach parity in the C-suite for women and men. And I think everyone can universally agree that that's a dissatisfying conclusion and begs a lot of questions about what needs to be done differently. Most companies have been on some level trying to work through the question of diversity broadly and gender diversity specifically for quite some time. So the real issue here is that we don't see progress being made and certainly not quickly enough and there's a real need to think differently about the issue. I think a couple of conclusions that I took away from a year ago, um, by the way, which hold true today as well. I remember being interviewed um, on CNBC and they asked the same question three times because they just couldn't believe the answer, which is everyone assumes that the reason why um, women are not um, moving into the C-suite or moving into the more senior ranks of organizations is really simple, that they're just leaving the workforce, that women have children, that they leave the workforce. Of the, and, and, and the answer is that's definitively not what's going on. That is not the cause of this. In fact, women are more likely to stay in, in, in their jobs, they're more likely to stay with their organizations than men are. And, and so the attrition, right, the number of women that are leaving the organization is actually lower than men. I do think there were a couple of other things that, um, that we identified, uh, again, a year ago that I think were highly relevant. One was um, this whole notion of um, line versus staff and how important line versus staff is in terms of the opportunity set that comes down the road. Just define that, make sure that everybody listens to yeah, this. Just, you know, I, the way I think about staff roles is um, typically things like IT, strategy, um, whereas I think you typically think of line roles as business unit presidents, um, product management, um, uh, uh, obviously the CEO itself. And if you look at the pipeline of roles that lead to those, um, those line roles have a much higher propensity to lead to the C-suite than do the, the staff roles. And you know, one of the things you see is while at the beginning when people are hired, the percentage that are in line versus staff across genders is not materially different. It is different, but it is not materially different. But over time what you see is women disproportionately end up in, in those staff roles that, don't, that sort of don't lead to the C-suite. So we're never gonna get there if we don't address that. And I think that was a big, uh, that was a big aha. Another one that I really took away was there's just a complete dissidence or incongruence between what the head of HR believes are priorities and what the employees believe are priorities. So if you ask the head of HR, right, is gender diversity or diversity more broadly a top agenda item for the organization and the CEO, you get about three quarters uh, a year ago that would say, absolutely a top priority, you know, probably a top three. If you then ask the organization, do you think that this is a top three or four priority for the CEO, only about half of that number, so about 37% believe it is. And then it gets even worse because if you then ask them, your direct line manager, so the person you report to, do they believe this is a top priority and are they acting that way? that number of 37 um, drops down into the low to mid 20s, if I recall correctly. And the result of that, or the, the, one of the impacts of that is all these programs that the head of HR that puts in place to help suggest that this is a priority, just get zero adoption or very, very low adoption because they say, well, my manager's gonna think of me in a very negative manner because they don't believe in this and therefore they don't believe in these programs and therefore I can't take advantage of them. And so again, you end up with a very negative reinforcing uh, cycle. Let me add one, one additional thought to that regarding last year's insight. The last piece I would build on is we did also look at this question about what leads women to be less excited about 
the senior roles in companies because we do find, consistent with other research, there continues to persist an ambition gap for women in wanting the top jobs. Not the next promotion, but the most senior roles. And that clearly affects the choices they're making in the trade-offs day to day. And what we found that I think is quite important is while work and family balance was a primary concern for women, it was also a primary concern for men. And the area where women really stood out as describing a concern related to top jobs that was different from what men describe is when it comes to the stress they see associated with those positions. And it was distinct from balancing family life. It was really a view that the way that these roles are being conceived the ecosystem in which the expectations are set about how you operating, you're operating, and potentially even the other ways in which women are describing an unbalanced playing field and what it takes to get there leads them to feel like the roles are just inherently less attractive. And so the question is, why is the work unattractive? Is it because that's the way it needs to get done? Or is that the way it has been done? It has been done predominantly by one gender. And so it really raises some questions about how are we going to work differently if we want to make a difference? I also think one of the reasons, I mean, if you go and say, well, gosh, I have put a lot at this, right? It's, I've declared it as a priority. I put a bunch of HR resources at it. Um, we talk, I think one of the things that people, um, and this is maybe too much of a personal reflection, is the unconscious bias. Right, and uh, you know, I've, I've told stories many, many times about my own unconscious bias that became really evident to me in, in a leadership role. And I think until you recognize that you have those biases, right, you just, the way you think about work, the way you think about how people perform in the job, the way you think about um, who you promote, all of it is, is got a lot of biases. By the way, both men and women have those biases, so it's not just one gender. But those, I think those biases are a huge limiting factor, and until, you really hold that mirror up and really see what those biases are driving you towards. It's really hard, to, and there's no HR policy in the world that can actually solve the problem. Is that something that we actually ask companies yet? Do we have data on how many companies are rolling out unconscious bias type training and awareness building? We do, and it's becoming increasingly common. So I think roughly a third of companies today have a structured or formal process for unconscious bias training. But you know, to Eric's point, what we've observed is most critical is not just the overall training, but figuring out where are places in our processes where unconscious bias is most likely to insert itself, where we need to structurally create some sort of a mechanism to surface and address that. So the example I would give is things like performance review process. Nobody intentionally steps into it trying to drive a process that is unfair or imbalanced, but by definition, we all bring in a set of perceptions and unconscious beliefs that affect it. Finding ways through both data and process to interrupt that is critically important, and the companies that are out in front are thinking about that very strategically. So they are doing things like saying, can we take a data-driven view on the back end of our performance review process to make sure we don't see patterns that look inappropriate, all else being equal? Can we use language and semantic information to understand if we're inserting words into our narrative that are very gender-loaded? Can we be looking at the actual process we use for interviews, et cetera, to, for people as we promote them in roles to make sure that we're taking implicit beliefs and forcing them to be explicit. So if you don't choose a candidate, write down why you didn't choose that candidate. What skill gap were they missing? That forces you to put on the table a set of beliefs that you might otherwise be unconsciously informing with other factors. 
those are the ways where I think companies will take the attack on unconscious bias to the next level. Another really important point is, you know, feedback, right? We all live on feedback. We can't know if we're doing, there's, you know, every, every role in the world, whether it's athletics, whether it's business, whether it's teaching, you can't do better unless you get feedback. Right? There's real data that shows that women are getting less feedback. By the way, they're not asking for less feedback, they're getting less feedback. Right? And so you know, there's just a lot here that attitudinally you've got to get your head around and you've got to change your behavior if you want to change the outcome. The good news is women and men are asking for feedback to the same degree. They say they want informal and formal feedback and that they welcome it. The bad news of that is that women state that they're 30% less likely to receive it. But managers, when they talk about whether or not they're giving feedback equally, they believe they're giving it to the same degree. So again, we have this situation where it is not necessarily intent. It's very much an unconscious result of you know, other factors. And that gets a lot harder to get underneath. But the, you know, the piece of it is when we, when we dig in on, well, when you hesitate to give feedback, what drives the reasons why? Both women and men will describe that they have more hesitancy when it comes to giving difficult feedback to women. So there is something they know inherently is holding them back, but it's playing through in a way where women in general then are receiving 30% less feedback on you know, critical input that helps you perform better over time. Right, and so one of the other pieces of data from, from this year's research is just women's exposure to senior leaders, mm -hmm. right? The kind of assignments that they get given, the sort of exposure they get. And I guess, as you say, this is a sort of systemic issue. That's then gonna feed into the kind of feedback they get, who they get feedback on, and everything else. And the visibility they have, and therefore the opportunities that come from it. And it's not a small difference, right? It's, it's a 20% difference in terms of uh, men and women's interactions with senior management. Well, and I, particularly startling from this year's data was the insight that um, women are less likely to make that first promotion and that very first leap. And in fact, men are 30% more likely to get the first promotion than women are. And the fact that that happened so early was really surprising to us because you're talking about a population that is made up of a large degree of millennials that in many cases does not yet have the complexity of children in the household, that doesn't have the compounding fact of decades worth potentially of these other factors accumulating and creating headwinds, and yet take a pool of 100 women to promote and 130 men will jump forward. Right out of the gate, you're already behind. One of the things I thought was interesting this year, which we didn't have a year ago, was who asked for promotions, right? And, you know, and by the way, who asked for raises? And, and Interestingly, they were not that different in terms of the percentage that asked between men and women. But what was fascinating was the perception of the men versus the women that asked for promotion or asked for a raise. And the probability that a woman, again, was going to be perceived as bossy, aggressive, intimidating, right, words that we specifically asked around, versus men who asked for the same thing, right, was 20 to 5% more likely or almost 30% more likely. That's enormous, right? Talk about unconscious bias, right? You go back to that, right? Same, same conversation, same outcome, right? Same desire, very, very different perception in terms of what that individual is about. I mean, there's clearly a hidden penalty here for women, right? You're further behind at the outset 
So we want you to ask for it. You ask for it, and you get hit on the back end <laughs> with, you know, with all of this residual <laughs> negative energy. And then, by the way, we may not even tell you about it because we don't like to give critical feedback. So <laughs> you may never even hear, but it all accumulates. And it's frankly, in that context, it's not surprising to see women stalling in the pipeline of progression. I think there are a lot of companies focused on what is a silver bullet, what is the new innovation that nobody has tried before. And they're missing the degree to which there is a significant gap between the intent of many of the policies and actions they have in place today and the reality of how those are being executed consistently across the workforce. So one example I would give to illustrate that is virtually all of the companies that we looked at state that they have standardized criteria for performance reviews in order to create a level field on which to evaluate candidates. But when you interview 34,000 employees across these companies, only 50% of them will say that they actually see standardized criteria for performance reviews being used with any degree of consistency across the organization. So there's clearly something here about we, we were setting the aspiration, we're building the awareness, but are we actually putting in place with real rigor the types of policies, programs, and actions that would actually allow us to get impact? And everything we see in the data suggests we're not there yet. But a lot of this, it sounds like in a way this is management 101, which is if you really care about a problem, you're gonna set, you're gonna measure really carefully outcomes, you're gonna set targets, and then you're gonna figure out if, if, you've got, if you're not hitting your targets, you're really gonna look hard about why and take action. So isn't there a sense here that, yes, a, a lot of companies mean well and they sincerely mean well, and they've taken that first step of putting some policies in the place, but until there are targets in place, until there's measurement and accountability against those targets, uh, you know, progress is not gonna be fast or easy. I think that's, I think that's absolutely fair. I, the reality is the majority of companies are now measuring at least a basic set of elements on diversity. At what very few companies, only about a quarter are doing, is putting any sort of target against those measurements. And I think it's not surprising to see that companies that do put a target on where they want to be, how much progress they want to make, and how quickly, are moving faster, and that's what we see in our data, that companies that set a hard target are moving faster than those that don't. And if you put that in the context of the day-to-day -day of business operations, this makes sense, right? You ask someone on business performance, you know, I want you to improve next year. How much do you want me to improve? I don't know, whatever you can do. <laughs> you, know, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't accept that in the context of you know, revenue or operating margin, and I think we can't accept it in the context of diversity. Something else that was new in uh, this year's research was some initial data on the experiences of, of women of color. Um, do you just want to say a little bit about what we found and um, potentially what we still need to learn about that? So on women of color, what we find is the same story playing out for women generally, but even more acute. So it's, it's frankly a very sobering story when you look at it. Similar to women broadly, women of color specifically start out in the beginning of a pipeline, fairly representative of the population at large. But by the time you get to the C-suite, the overall number is 3%, so virtually non-existent. So what we see is effectively women of color are even more adversely affected by the dynamics that are taking place. And when we ask women of color about their experiences, it's 
reinforced by what they say they see around the workplace environment, which is effectively an environment where they receive even less access to challenging and new assignments, that they are more pessimistic about the degree to which opportunities go to the most deserving employees. Uh, they feel that their work contributions are not as valued and that they are not reviewed as objectively and fairly. So there's clearly the same factors that are playing into the gender diversity debate are clearly playing into the race in an even more pronounced way. The data actually shows that women of color are every, every bit as ambitious, if not more ambitious, actually, than, than other women, right? Absolutely. So women of color self-report even higher aspirations of the top jobs. And so I think what's exciting here is you have a population of people who are you know, increasingly represented on the front end of the talent pipeline, who have a very high appetite to stay engaged and involved all the way through to senior ranks. And what we haven't yet put in place is a pathway to help them get there. Okay, so thank you very much, uh, Alexis and uh, Eric. If you want to download a copy of the latest Women in the Workplace research, you can find it at womeninTheWorkplace.com. That's all one word, womeninTheWorkplace.com. To learn more about McKinsey's full research program on gender equality and other topics, please visit us at mckinsey.com. You've been listening to the McKinsey podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.